Now, we've started out this a couple weeks ago, and we talked about how the fact is that when you think about in our time and culture, the most controversial issues of our time deal with marriage and sexuality and gender. And um, in the past few decades, you've had all kinds of people in position of influence trying to even change the definition of what those ideas mean. And now here we're studying in Ephesians 5, probably the longest section in the Bible that deals with these issues. And, uh, and we need to look at what does the Bible say. Now, as I started, said a few weeks ago, I want to start and say again, as I look at this, I'm not going to be arguing for my opinions on these things. My desire, my commitment to you as a pastor is to dive into God's word and to try to discover and teach what God says on these issues. And the fact is, he's our creator, he's our designer, and his word communicates what is true. It isn't just teaching us a random set of rules. It's not like Paul was saying, well, here's some ideas and you know, things that culturally make sense or that he made up. No, actually what we're seeing is these are all things that God is teaching us about the nature of his design, who we are, what he's designed marriage to be. And he's teaching us that we should do this in large part because the more we align ourselves with what we're designed to do and who we're to be, the healthier we will be. Now I realize that there will be some that don't agree. And some may even find some of the things that we say offensive. And, and again, I'm, if that's you, I'm happy you're here. We're not trying to offend. We're not trying to you know, start an argument. I hope this starts a discussion. But I do want you to think about something. As you hear what I'm saying, if, if you don't see me tracing it back to the Bible as its authority, its authority, it might be my opinion. And if it's just my opinion, you can disregard it. But if you see that what I'm saying goes directly from the Bible, it comes directly from what the Bible teaches, then I want to challenge you that it's not my opinion you're disagreeing with, it's what God's Word says. And then the issue is between you and God, and God's not teaching that again to judge, or He's teaching it as His gracious Word to invite you to His truth. Now, as we look at this, let me just take a minute to kind of review some foundational ideas that we touched on a couple weeks ago that are vital to understand if we're going to understand everything is said here. First is it's God is our creator and designer. And so when we realize that, you know, everything is created by God, not only us, but, but structures and, and the idea of, you know, marriage and gender. And a lot of the confusion that's going on in our culture now really flows from a evolutionary worldview. See, according to the evolutionary worldview, which is kind of driving a lot of the thinking culturally, see, everything evolved is a result of evolution. It's, re, it's a result of chance. And so gender, it's not designed, it's, it's the result of biological evolution. And so it was just, you know, the plumbing to make things work and to kind of, you know, the, you know to make it work in the context of, of the demands of a certain time. And even marriage was the result of historical evolution. It, there's no design to it, it just is what, what evolved to kind of propagate the, you know, uh, the, the world and get more people to make the structural work. And uh, so none of it is, is by design, and therefore they would argue, since we have evolved and we know more and that we have more technology and things, we need to continue to evolve our ideas of gender and marriage. And that's where all the, the change comes from. See, but the Bible teaches that nothing is the result of evolution. Everything is the result of God's not only creation, but also his design, it's starting with genders. 
Genesis 1, it talks about, you know, God created man in his image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. We looked at this a couple weeks ago, this idea that God created mankind, and he put part of his image more fully into masculine, into men, part of his image more fully into the feminine, into women, and then he calls us to be able to come and relate to each other in a way that complements each other. So the genders themselves are, are complementary by design. Now, part of that is it starts with this idea that they're different. They're different, but, but they're at the same time equal. And even many Christians struggle with this idea because some people think, well, equality means equivalency. The idea that if you're equal, you have to be the same, and you can't say that there are different instructions to men and women. And No, the Bible doesn't teach that. It says that while we're equal, we're at the same time different. And because there are differences, there are some things that the Bible says that are different to men and to women, and specifically in the structure of marriage. And, and we're to be different in a way that complement each other so that the unique strengths of men reach out and meet the unique needs of women. The unique strengths of women reach out and meet the unique needs of men. And so that's created, especially within marriage, he's created marriage with this design and structure. Now again, what we've got to realize is that if that's true, the fundamental nature of marriage is something that is designed by God. And all our cultural attempts to change what marriage is won't change that structure, the nature, and therefore it will always not work. Now, what does the Bible teach? You know, I believe the Bible is really clear that from the very beginning, God created marriage to be between one, one man and one woman in a lifetime commitment, a covenant commitment of marriage. And it also teaches that within that structure that it's a man and woman and that we're to complement each other that there's these ideas that, again, we bring strengths and needs into this relationship and we function in a complementary way. We're not just two individuals that you put together. No, it's a man and a woman who are uniquely blended in a such a way. And, and so what you're gonna see is that there are certain things that are different that are taught between men and women. Now, I'm touching on this briefly. And if you weren't here two weeks ago and you're kind of struggling with it, I'd encourage you to go to the website, look at the message from August uh, 14th, where we go into this a lot more in detail, but I needed to kind of lay that foundation. The other thing that we kind of talked about two weeks ago is this idea that before we see the different call to men and women, before you see God saying, okay, wives, submit to your husbands and respect your husbands, and before he says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church, there's this overarching call to all of us. Verse 21, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So how I love my wife is an act in a sense of submission out of reverence for Christ. And how she loves me is an act of submission out of reverence for Christ. But we are to do it somewhat differently. But there's also a sense that there's a commonality. Now right away, even that word submission is kind of that forward, you know, people said, I don't like that idea that I'm called to submit to anybody. Again, we struggle with that because we even misunderstand what this word means. When we think of the word submission, we think of a word that speaks of weak and, weak and passive. However, when Paul calls us to submit, it's, it's a submission that's strong, that's proactive, that's engaging. It's a submission of my own interests and needs to the needs, growth, and well-being of another person. It's not, a lot of times we think of submission as, well, somebody's telling me to do this and I have to submit to their will. No, I don't submit to somebody's will. I willingly make a choice out of my strength to submit my will to their needs, even if what they need isn't necessarily what they want. Now, we're going to see how that plays out. Now, that's, that's the overarching call, 
But then we see the rest of the passage we read a few minutes ago talks to husbands and wives differently. And the verbs are different. So husbands are called to love their wives as Christ loved the church. They're called to give and wives are called to submit and to respect. And so they're different verbs. And you see God not, again, just saying, okay, well, here's marriage and I've, you know, I've got to give somebody a role. And No, it's, it's all an expression of this whole idea of his creation and his design. But what I want to do is spend the rest of our time saying, what are the unique calls that God is giving specifically to husbands, to men? And again, this is going to be relevant if you're not married, if you're young, and you say, this is the call. What it, and even if you're not married and you're older. And so there's something here about, about what it means to be a, a man. And I think even as a woman, I think there's something here that might help be, hope, hopefully will be encouraging and, and insightful to you as well. Now, we're going to see, again, all of these are things that God is calling out as men, something about our strength, our masculine strength, in a way that meets the needs of our wives. And, and I think there are five things that I see in this passage I want to try to draw out. The first is that he calls us to the responsibility of spiritual leadership. Now, you might have read it and say, well, it doesn't ever say husbands lead your wives. Well, it doesn't in that direct way. And I think it's clearly implied because when you look at verse 22 through 24, and it talks about wives submit to your husband's leadership, it's implying that, okay, men, you should, you should be leading. You should be the spiritual leaders. Now, this is an idea, though, that as I say it, it can be offensive to some because it's often misunderstood. The idea that if we ever talk about men being leaders in the home, some people look at that and they say, well, it's abusive and it's, you know, it's, it's um, you know, uh, patriarchal. And, and we look at this and we've got to say, okay, We've got to understand what God is calling us to. God, men, God is not calling us to this idea that we have the right of leadership or that we have power. No, he's giving us the responsibility of serving. It's not a right, it's a responsibility. It's not that we are in charge and we get our way. No, it's the idea that God has entrusted us with the care and protection of our family, and he will hold us accountable to that. Now, even in this, some people will say, well, well, actually, Paul was just speaking in a patriarchal culture, and it was, it was cultural, and we need to, to realize that we shouldn't be limited by Paul's culture. Well, actually, no, if you look in the Bible, it's throughout the whole Bible, and the Bible actually traces it back to creation. So, in fact, let's go back all the way to Genesis 2, and we're going to see that in Genesis 2, before there was any culture, then we see God giving us this call. Genesis 2, before any culture was formed, we read, and the Lord God uh, took man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, you may surely eat of every tree in the garden, but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. And then the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be left alone. I will make a helper fit for him. Now, now here's the thing I want you to see. It's easy to miss this, but it's really important. God created Adam. He then gives Adam the command to not eat from the tree. Then he creates Eve. Eve wasn't there when he gave the command. And there's no record in the Bible where God ever repeated the command. And so the idea that most, most agree on that study this is that God gave this command to Adam. He then created Eve and said, okay, Adam, it's your job to, to tell her what I told you. It's your job to be the spiritual leader. It's your job to help her understand and to be able to obey what I've called you to do this. And so he was entrusted to lead his wife. Now let's see how it went. Let's go to Genesis 3. 
Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the other beasts of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it or you shall die. Now at first it may seem like, okay, Adam did a pretty good job. Clearly he's communicated this to Eve. And so when Satan comes, he, you know, she gets it a little wrong, but she basically gets the main idea. Okay, so let's see what can, the story continues. Verse four, and the serpent said to the woman, you shall not surely die for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Now Satan comes back with a great lie. He comes back and he said, okay, you know, God didn't give you this command to protect you from harm. God gave you this command to keep you from good. The lie is God isn't good. And his commands are, are actually to harm you. There's good things that he's holding back from you. And so if you want the best life, you've got to go outside of God's provision. You have to break his commands and you have to take it on your own. Now that's the lie behind all temptation. It's the lie that he still throws at us today. And in this case, we read that Eve was deceived by the lie. So we read in the next verse, and when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that there was delight for, an, for the eyes and the tree was desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and she ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Now here's the question I wanna ask you. When you hear that story, where was Adam when all this was happening? Where was Adam when Satan was lying to his wife? And the answer is right here in this passage. Look again at what it says right there at the end of verse six. It says, she gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. So I, I used to think that in a sense that Adam's out you know, taking care of the garden, Satan's there by, or, or he's by herself, Satan comes and, and, and tempts her and then she takes it and then she goes and finds Adam and says, hey Adam, I had some of this apple here, why don't you try it? But that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that at the whole time he's there, as the enemy's coming and confronting her and lying to her, he's silent. This one who is called to now teach and protect and provide and be the spiritual leader, he's letting her be attacked and he's just, he's not doing anything. And friends, what we need to realize, men, God has called you to be the spiritual leader of your home. God has entrusted you with that calling. See, every single day, our wives and our children will face spiritual attacks, spiritual forces that will stand against us. And the question is, will you step up and lead? Will you be the protector? We, we have a job, we have a responsibility. And will we stand up and be the men that our children and our wives need us to be? Adam wasn't, he failed. And here's the challenge that we have. The fact is that he failed. There's something that we inherit from his nature that as men, we now naturally fall into that same failure. And, and for any man that's here, it's like, it's hard to be the spiritual leader. How do I pray with my wife? How do I, we, we naturally wanna back away from that. That's not easy for us to do. And the reason is we've actually inherited something from Adam's failure that is now natural for us to be passive like he was. But we still have that responsibility. Now even in that, why did he fail? I think at the core, I think the main reason he failed was fear. That, that he's sitting there and Satan's coming and, and 
And he's listening, and he thinks, it sounds like Eve wants the apple. Well, now if I, what if I say, hey, Eve, this is a lie, this is a deception, you can't do that. What if, he chooses, what if she chooses the apple over me? What if she rejects my leadership? And suddenly, if I step out, I take a risk of leading. If I, take, if I try to stop this, if I try to do what's right, there's a risk, and that risk could go wrong, and I could fail. And I think that he failed because he was afraid. He was afraid of being exposed. He was afraid of, of her rejecting. And that's the same thing. We struggle to do this because of fear. We have the same fear that Adam did. But I hope and pray that we grow to not continue in the same failure that he had. Because what happens is destruction is you know, terrible. Now, here's where I want you to see this calling and this responsibility. Let's continue to see what happens next. Verse 7. The eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. They sewed fig leaves together and made for themselves loincloths. So, so the result is kind of brokenness in the relationship. But then we read, and they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves in the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. But the Lord called to the man and said to him, where are you? Now, here's another question. Why did God go to Adam? Oh, eventually he goes to Eve. But in the beginning, he doesn't say, Adam and Eve. He goes and says, Adam, where are you? The man, where are you? Why does he just go to Adam in the beginning? I don't know about you, but I used to hear this story, and I used to think, you know, people talk about Adam's sin. It wasn't Adam's sin. It was Eve's sin. She's the one that ate first. You know, why is it that men get the bad rap on this thing? You know, she's, she failed first. In that case, she's like, why, if that's the case, why does he go to Adam first? Who failed? If you want to understand the fall, the first failure was not Eve, it was Adam. The first failure was when Adam failed to step up and lead, when he sat there silently and let Eve be deceived, when he failed to to step up and be the man whom God had called him to be. And because Adam failed, then Eve failed, and then Eve failed, and Adam just said, oh, I just might as well just double down on it and go and eat the apple with you. The failure started there. Men, God has called us again to be the spiritual leader, and it's ultimately something, not, it's, about, it's not about authority, it's about responsibility. It's about the fact is that God is going to come to you first. We, it's not that we have the right to be in charge, we have the responsibility of answering to God. So no matter what happens in our family, will our wives be accountable, and will our kids? Yes, but God's coming to you first, and God's saying, okay, did you teach them? Did you lead them? He's going to call us out first. We will always answer first before God. And men, if that doesn't scare you a little bit, you don't have a clue what the Bible teaches. That's our calling. And the question is, will we step up? Will we initiate? Now, even in stepping up and, and making decisions and doing it, that doesn't mean that we're doing it on our own. Because even in this leadership, I lead in such a way that I, God has given me a wife and, and she you know, bears this gender. She bears perspective and truth and wisdom that I don't have. She's half in a sense of my brain. And so if I'm married, I'm blessed to have that. And I've got to lead my family in such a way that I'm listening to her. She often perceives things I don't, I don't, I don't perceive. But at the same time, at the end of the day, God's going to hold me accountable. He's going to hold you accountable. And will you step up and be the man whom God has called you to be? So we're called, first of all, to spiritual leadership. And second of all, God's called us to sacrificial love, leading through sacrificial love. And again, here's where the leadership, it doesn't mean that you're the boss. It doesn't mean a man gets what he wants. It's not the dictator. And, 
but there's a strength here that's sacrificial. And our example is Jesus. Look what it says in verse 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So it's not that we get our way, but I'm called to love my wife in a way that I submit. But it's a submission of leadership where I submit my interests, my desires to her well-being, to her health, to her growth. I serve her. I'm called to be a servant leader that, that leads by my serving. And so again, with her hard decisions and things, I'm involved with her. She's my partner. We're side by side. But at the same time, we're called to, in a sense, say, okay, it's not getting what I want. It's saying, okay, what does God want? And what's best in the best interest for my, my family? So and even in that, you say, okay, we talked about this last week. If we love as Christ loved the church, it's not, it's not a week sometimes as men. It's like, well, I'm going to be a servant. It mean, that becomes passive, and we do whatever you want. And no, God has called us to a strength, a strength that recognizes that as Christ, he died on the cross for our sins. When he died, did he give people what they wanted? No, he wanted to be left in our sins. They rejected Jesus. They crucified him because he wasn't the Messiah that they wanted or that we wanted. And what we need to realize in the same way God has called us now to love in the same way, not, not want what these want, but Jesus came, he came to meet our deepest need. And as men, we're called to love in such a way that we're sacrificial and that we seek to meet the deepest needs of our family. The sense that I can love in such a way that is God happy with the way that I'm loving. But there's also a sacrificial element to this. And there will be times, the men, if we love well, it will not always be easy. It will not always be rewarding. It will not always be what you want. There will be times that there's a sacrificial commitment you know, I talk to men periodically who will say, well, I'm thinking about stepping out of my marriage. I'm thinking about divorce. I'm thinking, or they maybe had an affair and they're trying to justify it. They're saying, well, my wife wasn't meeting my needs. I just wasn't happy. And now if somebody comes to me in the beginning and says, boy, it's really struggling, I, I will say, okay, how do we help you work through these issues? How do you help you have a great relationship? But you need to lead as men. You know, you need to just, don't complain. Okay, now how are you fixing it? What are you doing? But especially when someone will come back and try to justify, I'm thinking about walking out, I'm, I'm having an affair, and I mean, part of me wants to say, you know what, man up. I mean, I mean, man up in a sense, why? Because God has called you to sacrificial love. That means it's hard. That means it will not always be rewarding, but do what's right. You know, sometimes when men will come and they'll say, well, I'm leaving and she's not meeting my needs. That's it. I hear a little boy talking. You know why? Because when you think of a little boy, a little boy wants a mommy who's going to meet their needs. And when I hear these men that saying, she's not meeting my needs, that's a little boy saying, I want this mommy that meets my needs. That's a boy talking. When we look at the call that God has given to us as men, it's now love your wives as Christ loved the church. It's not as long as she meets your needs. It's no, give yourself sacrificially to meet her needs. Even when you don't like it, even when it's hard, even when you think that, you know, that, that she's not meeting your needs, persevere, be the man. Look at Jesus Christ. Be the man that he has called you to be. And what you're going to find is at times it's difficult, and at times you persevere. There is a reward. We're going to come back to that at the end. But God has called us to be men in a world where we don't have men, where men are just, where we're bailing and we're not being, you know, persistent, not being, making, living up to commitments. We need the church to be an example of say, these are men that look to Jesus and I'm going to be that kind of man. 
that we're not only loving through sacrificial love, but it's a sacrificial love that's looking to protect and provide. This is the idea that's taught in verse uh, 25 through 27. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her with the washing water with the word, that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. See, what it's saying is the ultimate goal of our loving our wives isn't to make them happy. It isn't to keep the peace. It's ultimately what should drive and shape our lives is that we're trying to help them be healthier. We're seeking the health and growth of our wives. See, the ultimate goal of Jesus' sacrifice wasn't our happiness. It's not giving us what we wanted. It was our forgiveness and to make us holy before God that he would one day present us before God as holy and blameless. It was our growth and our health. And that's what God has called us to do, to love in that way. That is our primary purpose. Are we helping our wives to become holy and blameless before God? I'm really struck in verse 27 when it says that he might present the church to himself without spot or blemish or any such thing. And you know what I think of? I think of wedding ceremony. Because the idea of presenting to himself. I think back my wedding ceremony, and I've stood on one side, my wife on the other side, or her dad in the middle, and it was kind of like, okay, I've got to get through him to get to her, and, and, uh, and finally, it's who gives this woman to be married to this man, her mother and I, and, and he gives me her hand, and there's a sense that he's saying, now I'm entrusting my little girl to you. You are now responsible to care for her, to love her, to provide for her. You, she is now in your, you know, your protection. That's a high calling. Now, some didn't have great dads, and so that didn't have the same meaning. But at that same ceremony, what you've got to realize is the Bible teaches in Ephesians 1 that all of us are children of God, that we're adopted by God. That means my wife is a child of God. And at that same ceremony, there's a sense that God took her hand and he put it in my hand and he said, now I entrust this woman to you. I entrust my daughter to you. You are responsible to provide for, protect her, to help her grow and to be someone who's without spot and blemish, to become all the woman that God has called her to be. And one day... I'm going to hand her hand back to God. Because one of us are going to die first. And one day I'm going to, whether it's my die or whether she dies, I'm going to hand her hand back to God. And I have to give an account on how well I've cared for her, his daughter. Have I loved her in such a way that she is better because of my love, that she's holier, that she's, I've drawn her towards God, have I helped her grow in her faith? And it loves, means loving her in a way that is strong. It's not being like Adam. Adam, when you look at Adam, he wanted the apple, and he, he you know, said, well, if you wanted the apple, I'll give you whatever you want. There wasn't a strength, but, she, but it destroyed her. No, there's a love that says, okay, I'm gonna protect, I'm gonna, I'm, and even if there's a risk of disagreeing with you to say, how do I drive you towards Christ? We're called to provide. In a literal sense of the word, think of the word provision. Okay, it actually could divide it up into two ideas, pro, forward, vision, the ability to see. There's a sense that God has called us to be provisionaries. The one that says, okay, when you look at it, I want to one day present as Christ died so that one day he could present the church to himself as holy and blameless, so I'm called to love my family in that way. How am I investing in my wife and my children in such a way that I'm helping them become the people whom God has called them to be, to be the provider, the provisionary, but also the protector? Now, a lot of us as men, we, we're okay with kind of protecting physically. 
And so when we think of physical protection, you know, we go out there and we're going to protect our wives if there's a stranger and we're going to lock the door. There's at nighttime, you know, you hear, hear something at night, you get up and it's, I hear something, I'm going to go protect. I'm going to, it's dark and I'm looking for, I grab a shoe and I'm going to go down and take this, you know, if somebody's on there and I get halfway down, I realize it's my wife's pinky, pink fuzzy slipper. And that's probably not a great weapon, but it was in the middle of the night. You know, I just wasn't thinking when I grabbed it. And, but, but I'm still going to go out and I'm going to protect her. And even if it's slapping him with a foot, I mean, we, we're okay with that as men. Here's what we need to realize. Our wives and our children need that protection. But the greatest threats they face are probably not just the physical, it's the spiritual and the emotional, the relational. If our wives come to us and they say, we have some problems, we need to go to counsel. I hear a lot of men, oh, we don't need to go, we resist. Hey, if our wives say there's a problem, that's a threat. If they hear something in the middle of the night and they say, there's a threat in our house, we're going to go and protect him. And if they're coming and they're saying, there's a problem in our marriage, we should see that as a threat. And we can say, I'm going to go protect her. I'm going to take that on. We need to be willing to step up and do that, to take that on. Even with Mike and Julie, I was talking last week, and she was saying, you know, one of the problems, we've got to protect and nurture even the purity. And she says, I've talked to many couples where wives will talk about their husbands will try to bring pornography into the room and to spice up their sex life. And, and that is so against what this passage is saying. See, that's not presenting our, our wives and protecting their purity and, and presenting them before Christ as more holy, helping them grow in that. That's saying, oh, because I'm pursuing this, this you know, this greater high, then I'm going to kind of bring her down in the, in the, in the you know, dirt. My friends, God has called us to be these, this one who loves sacrificially, protecting, providing, but also then nourishing and cherishing. Look what it says in verse 28, in the same way husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his flesh, but nourishes and cherishes just as Christ does the church. And what he's saying here is this idea that that we're called to nourish and cherish. I love what Mike talked about last week with Julie. We're called to be this PhD and, and, and knowing our wives and understanding and cherishing, constantly saying, I would choose you. And not only choose you over other people, I choose you over other things in life. You are a priority to me. Do our wives feel cherished? But some of that is also cherishing them for who they are and understanding that they're different. And, understand, and not only understanding that, but appreciating that. And instead of being frustrated, meeting them where they're at. I love it how it says in 1 Peter chapter 3, it says this, Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you in the grace of life, so that your prayers not be hindered. Now, it calls us, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. Now, just to be simple here, if that was natural, God wouldn't have to command us to do it. All right? So the whole idea of understanding your wives, men, if you have a hard time, even God's word says, okay, you're going to have a hard time with that. We don't understand each other. This is a, difficult to understand. And it's easy to not, if we don't understand that, we're not valuing them for who they are. Let me give you a simple example. The way we talk is different. So when we talk, you know, if I were to, you know, to, to get another man, I say, hey, Keith, hey, let's get together. I've got this problem. I want to share, I'm going to share the, the content, my problem, the facts, and, and I'm going to be listening, and I'm sharing because I'm expecting as another man, he's going to listen, and he's going to say, well, let me evaluate that. Here's some solutions. Here's some fixes. That's how men talk. That's not how women talk. I mean, women don't talk about the facts and solutions. They just, they often talk about, well, here's how I feel. Here's what my experience. Here's the emotion. And, and, and so for men, sometimes it's like, well, we listen to our wives. We listen to another woman, and we're, they're talking, and they're like, 
what are, you know, we're talking about, what are they talking about? It's, it seems like they're not talking about anything. You know, what's the fact? What's the detail? Well, and the problem is that a lot of times, the emotion is it. That, that's, they just want to be understood. And we try to jump and say, well, let's go to the facts. How do I fix it? And they don't want to be fixed. They want to be understood. And part of cherishing is understanding that and loving them for who they are. Let me give you a great illustration of this. I found this little video. I think it illustrates this problem in a way that I think all of us will be able to respond or understand and appreciate. Just this difference between men and women and this communication. It's just, there's all this pressure, you know? And sometimes it feels like it's right up on me and I can just feel it, like literally feel it in my head and it's relentless. And I don't know if it's gonna stop. I mean, that's the thing that scares me the most is that I don't know if it's ever gonna stop. Yeah. Well, you do have a nail in your head. It is not about the nail. Are you sure? Because, I mean, I'll bet if we got that out of there. Stop would... trying to fix it. No, I'm not trying to fix it. I'm just pointing out that maybe the nail is causing. You always do this. You always try to fix things when what I really need is for you to just listen. Yeah, see, I don't think that is what you need. I think what you need is to get the nail See, you're out. not even listening now. Okay, fine. I will listen. Fine. It's just, sometimes it's like, there's this achy, I don't know what it is. And I'm not sleeping very well at all. And all my sweaters are snagged. I mean, all of them. That sounds really hard. It is. Thank you. Ow! Oh, come on! Ow. If you would just don't. <laughs> I mean, I love that. That illustrates the problem. And part of that is understanding. It doesn't make sense. But as wise, we're called to live with an understanding manner, to nurture, to cherish, to value who we are, even in those differences, not to resent it. And ultimately, it leads us to this call of, 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 of unconditional love. You know, when we see this call to men to love with our lives as Christ loved the church, Christ's love for us was, was unconditional. It's not only that he loved us you know, um, you know, by dying for us, but he did so while we were still sinners, it says in Romans chapter five, while we were acting as en enemies. He pursued us relentlessly. And you think about those of us who are followers of Christ, how many times have we let down God? How many times have we failed him? And yet he still loves us, yet he still forgives us, yet he still pursues us. And in the same way, God's calling us to love our wives in that way, that it's not only self-sacrificial, but it's unconditional. Meaning that it's not just when they have earned it. It's not just because they deserve it. It's not just because they melt their, we feel they've met their needs or because they're lovable. But even when none of those things are true, to love unconditionally. There are times that she's going to feel unlovable. There are times that they're difficult. There are times that they are hard to understand. There are times that events happen where they seem, you know, drives into a selfish mode. And there are times that we try and there seems to be little response. And God has called us to be unconditional. In fact, that's when we really love, know what love is. You see, because if I only love at the times when she loves back, the fact is it's always, I'm always doing something with a motive. I'm always giving so I can receive. And true love is, I'm just going to give. 
It's by this definition of saying it's unconditional and self-sacrificial without expecting anything in return. And I can think I do it, and then I get frustrated when I don't get anything in return, and that's when I come back and I say, God, help me to do that. That's what we promised in our wedding vows. When we promised to love, honor, and cherish, it was, there's no if, there's no as long as. It's unconditional, and that's what God has called us to, and that's ultimately so important because it's our wife's deepest need. This idea of saying that this deepest need that at times when she feels like I am unlovable, that, you know, that things that happen, I feel, you know, feel ugly, and when we come back and say, you're beautiful to me. When you feel like I failed you to say, I still love you. Ultimately, here's why it's this deepest need. It's because as long as love is conditional, as long as I give in any way this idea, I love you as long if, or if I love you because, I'm ultimately communicating I love you as long as. I love you because you're beautiful. I love you because you meet my needs. I love you because you did this. I'm saying I love you because you earned it. And I'm likewise implying that if you stop earning it, I might stop loving you. And what a woman's deepest need is to say, am I going to be found lovable and beautiful and desirable? Am I going to be treasured even when there's no if, even when I failed? That's ultimately here, what, what this idea is, this principle that God is calling us to, this unconditional commitment that God is calling us to. How do we do that? It's Christ's love of the church. And when we don't have it, that's when we come back and say, God, help me to remember how you have loved me through Jesus Christ, how even when I was unlovable, even when I failed you, that you've never given up on me. Help me to love in that way. Now, even in this, it can sound like, okay, well, men, you're called to be faithful. We're called to be, it's duty. And well, it's actually more, it's not. It's, we're called to be men. We're called to do this. But there is actually, even in this passage, a motivation it's a counterintuitive motivation that's easy to miss. Because while we're called to be self-sacrificial and, and to pursue even when we don't receive anything in return, and ultimately, there is a return. Look what it says in verse 28. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. Ultimately, when I love self-sacrificially, the result is from a counterintuitive sense that it's not about me and that's when I return, that's when I receive what I deeply long for. See, here's the idea. As long as we make self-fulfillment uh, self the focus of our relationships, we will always be disappointed. But when we make self-sacrificial love the primary goal of our relationship, we will find that self-fulfillment will come as a byproduct. And here's why. As long as self-fulfillment is the goal, then my spouse is always a, the means. So as long as you do this, and, and what I, I need you to fill my needs, and she becomes the means for filling that need. And ultimately, I'm saying I have these deep needs I need you to fill. I have a wonderful wife I'm thankful for. Her. She does meet many of my needs. The deepest needs she cannot meet. God meets those needs. She is a wonderful wife. She is a terrible God. And that's what we need to realize is that as long as I'm making the goal of my marriage self-fulfillment, or, or self I'm putting her in the place of God and I will always be disappointed, not because she failed, but because God hasn't created her to do that. But if I put God first and I say, okay, God, I want you to meet my needs and I want to see that I am loved by Christ and now as I am loved by Christ, my goal is to sacrifice, to fulfill her, to help her grow. It's not about me, it's about her 
What we find is this incredible idea in giving to our spouse's needs, there we find fulfillment. There we find this byproduct of God saying, okay, now that when you emptied yourself, now you're going to find a love and a fulfillment and joy. There are going to be times that it's not there. Persevere, continue on. But at the end of the day, you're going to find what you deeply long for. But just when you don't make that the center, when you don't make it your goal. God has called us to incredible, something incredible. He called us to incredible relationship, incredible families, incredible marriages, and there are principles here that allow us to build that no matter how broken it is now. But specifically, we're going to say what he calls us to is it starts by saying he's called us to be men, for men to step up. In a culture where, you know, we don't even talk about the differences of men, and when we talk about men leadership, well, that's offensive to people. And now, there are principles here that God has called us that are deeply rooted in our masculinity, who we are. It's deeply rooted in the very nature of marriage. And I want to challenge you. Men, are, we want to step up together. None of us are there. And, but I, I even talked to my wife about this, and, you know, and she's encouraging me on some of the things. And not that I'm there, but I'm, I'm more there than I was 10 years ago, and hopefully I'm not as much there as I am going to be 10 years from now. I'm still learning but I see this call that God has given me. And I want to step up and I want to seek that, that call. And how do I do it? Ultimately, I point, I point towards Christ. And if you're here and you're saying, how do I do that? It starts, you have a relationship with Jesus because you love as Christ loved the church. If, you don't know, if you've not been loved that way, if you've not received Jesus' love, you just don't have it to give. So it starts by getting your relationship with Jesus right. If you've never trusted in Christ, I'd encourage you to see his love, accept his love, to embrace it. And then for us that have done that, when we, fall, when we run short, go back to Jesus. Go back and remember how you're loved and come into him and say, God, I don't have what it takes. Give me what I don't have. And he will. And there's a great joy. There's a great joy of not only, in a sense, living out to the sense of saying, okay, I'm becoming the man whom God has called me to be. But then to see my wife grow and to be able to say, I'm, see, I'm investing in her. I see God helping her become the woman who God's called her to be and my children and to have the marriage that I long for. My friends, that's what we want to pursue. And if you're here and you're struggling with it, let me encourage you. I'd love to spend time with you and just continue to explore with you because God can heal even the most broken of relationship. This is the goal for all of us. Will you step up and pursue it with me? I hope and pray you will.